everybody, and welcome back to the Kelly Green Hour. I'm LJ Harrell, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Connor. Connor, um, we have a 1-3-1 and football team that we're about to talk about. And we also have a 1-3-1 and football team that's half a game out of first place. So there's reason for optimism. Well, and the other reason for optimism is Dak Prescott got hurt last week and is out for the year. So, like... I know that the, the but let's the, let's preface this with prayers to the guy because that's a brutal injury and and it's this goes beyond football. I I hope he gets better and he comes back and he doesn't go back to where to an ungrateful Jerry Jones and Dallas it does, Cowboys. It, it does suck and I, I'm not gonna slander him and say anything bad. But let's be real, Dallas fans when Carson got hurt, they weren't shedding a tear for us, so I'm not gonna shed a tear for them either. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not talking bad about Dak. I'm not. I never wish injury on anybody. But when when Carson tore his ACL and then had the back injury the year after, Dallas fans weren't saying, "Oh, prayers up to you know get well wishes." No, nah, I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear that mess. It happened. Let's move on with the season. You got to play with who you got to play with. We won the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. Can Dallas win the Super Bowl with Andy Dalton? Uh, well, not with that defense. That's for damn sure. Mm-mm. No, no. <laughs> All right. So last week, the Philadelphia Eagles fell to the Pittsburgh Steelers, thirty. Actually, before we get um, before we get to that, I uh, just wanted to remind everybody to follow us on Twitter at Kelly Green Hour. Or you can follow Connor on Twitter at Connor T E N, or follow me uh, on Twitter at L J Harrell five four. Um, and wherever you're listening to our our podcast, please rate and review. Uh, let us know how we're doing. Uh, you can send us some DMs to the Kelly Green Hour or our personal Twitter accounts um, to uh, if you have any suggestions or you want you want us to touch upon anything on any upcoming uh, segments. We will be sure to do that. Definitely, absolutely, and don't yeah. forget to check out Sports Talk Philly, SportsTalkPhilly.com, mm-hmm. and at Sports Talk PHL. They are our partners who took us on when we were just uh, an independent podcast. Trying to trying to make it big, and well, we're not big yet, but we're, we're, we're doing much better for ourselves. So and, and we Connor's appreciate doing, them. Yeah, and Connor's doing a good job of getting us some uh, guests for future for future segments. All right, let's talk about last week's game, where the, the Eagles fell 38-29. The Steelers are four and zero. The Eagles one three and one, and the Eagles got abused by rookie. Chase Claypool out of Notre Dame, and coming into the game, Chase Claypool said, I wasn't even expecting to have a big role in the offense today. He was just expecting to go out there, maybe catch a few passes here and there. But no, he abused the Eagles' middle of the, the secondary, the the linebacker, one name in particular who never needs to see a field, Nate Jerry. Um, if, if we could get rid of him now, if, if he, he just could Okay, I need to go on a tangent real quick. Why he is still on the field every time there is a big play mind boggles me. He is the absolute worst player in the National Football League. You cannot tell me otherwise. He he's given up. So I, I saw a stat of the passes that he that have been attended to the person he was covering. There's been not one incompletion. He's given up about 154 passer rating. He's given up about 50 million touchdowns. Why is this guy on the football field? He is all full. This is what the Eagles have. This is what we have to watch. We have zero at the linebacker position. TJ Edwards is our best linebacker. He's hurt. Davion Taylor can't get on the field. Nate Gary just needs, he's not an NFL football player. He is terrible. He has no instincts, no intangibles. He can't, he, he can't read and react at the same time. I missed the times when we had, Jeremiah Trotter, when we when we had Carl, even Carlos Emmons, Ike Reese, like I miss those stacked linebackers. The Eagles had the opportunity. Yes, we took Jalen Rager. We had a need at wide receiver. I get it, but they had the chance to take Kenneth Murray or who you're going to see this week, Patrick Queen. But did they do that? No. And they're and we're sit here stuck with Nathan freaking Jerry who can't cover me. I'm an offensive lineman. I can burn this guy. Get him off the field. He is terrible. Put Davion Taylor out there. I want to see some. If, if we're going to this youth movement, if, if we're going to do this on defense, <clears throat> uh, in, at least in the middle of the defense, because we have 
I mean, Sean Bradley is, has gotten some some burnout on the field. Um, TJ Edwards, when he when he's up, Duke Riley's going to be out this week. We're, we'll talk about the seven injuries that or the seven people that are already out, and pretty much all of them are or six of them are projected starters coming throughout this season. And we're stuck with Nathan freaking Jerry. When Nate Jerry or when Ben Roethlisberger saw Chase Pitt Claypool lined up against Nate Gary, when the Eagles had a shot on third and eight, if you stop him, force a field goal, you have a chance. He laughed. He exposed the defense. They should have called a timeout. Maybe Ronald, Ronnie McLeod, if, maybe if Malcolm Jenkins was here, he would have A, called a timeout, or B, would have told Nate Gary to move, and I'll cover him. But we have no leadership in that secondary to, to use their brain cells to – to make a change in the middle of a play. It doesn't work. Nate Gary against Chase Claypool. I'm laughing. I could throw that pass to, to Chase Claypool blindfolded. It is, I, I can't stay at Nate Gary. If he's on the field tomorrow, and I hope Lamar Jackson, Jackson right? I never wish injury on anybody, but I hope Lamar Jackson breaks his ankles because Nate Gary is the worst football player in the NFL. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. Wow, that was, that was deep. I felt that in the heart. I mean, one thing I got to praise Nate Jerry on is um, good job on being one of the few players who never gets injured. Not I even his consistency of being garbage. That's not <laughs> even worth worth mentioning. But he is one of the few players who's probably missed almost no time um, with the Eagles since he came to Philadelphia. I think he's missed a game or two. But uh, so consistency in the health market is a is a something worth uh, applauding um, as an Eagles fan. Um, and for me, the Chase Claypool breakout game was actually unsurprising. And I thought about it after the fact, once when, you know, after the Russian touchdown and then the, the second touchdown that he got in the second quarter, the biggest thing for me, somebody asked me, it was a fantasy football related question. It was, do you think Eric Ebron does well against the Eagles? I'm like, yeah, I do think Eric Ebron does well against Eagles. I think that's a, someone you definitely start. Did he do well? Not that great. He fumbled and all that stuff. But Chase Claypool is a mismatch waiting to happen. He is a tight end. He has tight end like size. And if you can work him into the middle of the field where they're trying to work Eric Ebron or Vance McDonald, you can expose our defense majorly. And the Baltimore Ravens have a player at, when we when we get to the Ravens matchup. The Ravens have a player similar to Claypool who I think could go off. So Duvernay. Say no, not even. I'll talk uh, about it. Don't you worry. Yep, yep. So um, for for me, if you can expose that mismatch, if you have the two tight ends, like we're gonna be, we're gonna have to watch Mark Andrews. If you can mm-hmm. get people, certain slot people into the middle, they can take advantage, just like Chase Claypool did, and that's exactly what happened. Our some of our linebackers are busy covering McDonald and Ebron, and then there was Nate Gary left to cover Chase Claypool, which was I would have rathered any other linebacker on Chase Claypool, but I would rather the day, a, a, it didn't work. safety or a corner on him. But Jim Schwartz, who he made zero adjustments, and the 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 experience of Ben Roethlisberger, he he toyed with the, the defense. He took you know, you, you always say offenses, like say, take what the defense gives you. Well, he did that and he did it for big plays because he kept teams do the same things against us. They do misdirection. They do reverses. I'm pretty sure the Eagles have yet to stop one of those reverses this year. And it gets, it's gotten, it, it's happened at least 10 times this year where a team has done that. And the Eagles are out of position because the backside defensive end doesn't contain the linebackers are, aren't reading their keys and they're always going like whatever side that the quarterback goes to and they just dump it off to the, to the receiver that's coming in motion and he's going the other way. So like something needs to change. I, I don't know if it's personnel. I don't know if it's, um, if it's the, the, the defensive game plan, but they need to figure it out because it's happened week after week after week. And you're going to see another, and we, and, and I know we'll get to it, but you're going to see another offense this week that has Lamar Jackson who can, who could do, a number of different things uh, with his legs. You have Mark, you have Hollywood Brown, you have Miles Boykin, uh, Devin Duvernay. Like they have a bunch <clears> of <throat> speed and athleticism on this offense, you know, and, and maybe this could be the JK Dobbins breakout game. Who knows? But it feels like a rookie, a, a guy that the Eagles should have drafted, had the opportunity to draft always comes back and bites them. Last year it was DK Metcalf. This year 
it just, I mean, and Terry McLaurin also last year. This year, we saw um, Chase Claypool do it. Uh, T. Higgins had a, had a big game against us. All these, it seemed like all the players that the Eagles had the opportunity to draft but went and tried to, and where Howie tried to be smarter than everybody else, where, you know, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside finally had a catch last week but couldn't get out of bounds. Um, John Hightower had a play where he, he caught the ball but couldn't get out of bounds at the end of the first half, which the Eagles would have had the opportunity maybe. They wouldn't have burned the timeout, and then maybe they could have kicked the field goal at the end of, end of the first half, but couldn't because they had time management wasn't there. Like It just mm-hmm. feels like the Eagles get caught with their pants down don't know how to fit to to just come away and, 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 and make the necessary adjustments or necessary plays to, to get back into a game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was very frustrating to watch some of those players. I mean, hindsight 2020, but I also want to speak to that point. You make the point, like, why do these guys keep burning us? Could it be for the fact that we've addressed the biggest need as a CB1, but we have yet to really address the need of CB2s and LB2s and proper coverage safeties oh, that LB1. can support. LB1, an LB1 first. I know, the linebacker, we can go on about the linebacker position forever, but at the end of the day, the well, Eagles when, aren't going to address and, it, and I don't think they're going to address it. There's there's a number of options out there, and, and I plan to write a piece for Sports Talk Philly about some people we can uh, get at the trade deadline, but people have to remember they're when they're talking the about... Deadline. Well, yeah, when you're talking about the trade deadline and you're picking up these one-year contracts, at this point in the season, they you have to think about, can they re-sign them next year? Is it worth the investment? Because you know you're going to rip that investment when they have to let them go next year because we're $62 million in the hole. So what's the point in going out and investing in a Hassan Reddick? Who does not have? Who the team opted not to pick up his option? He's a great person to pick up, but we're in the hole next year, and we have no clue what we're doing with it. The rumor is Jeffrey and and Jackson won't be back, which is a hundred percent has to happen. But you never know with Harry Roseman what he's going to make the call on. Um, so for me, it's like, do you go out and pick up linebackers, or you just ride out the season, see what you got and who you drafted should you know, eventually we get to see those people that we drafted and and just go back into the draft next year and hopefully grab a linebacker or two? Or, or do you want to make that investment, waste a fourth, a fifth, or a sixth round pick, and then watch the guy go away to free agency next in the offseason? Well, the one thing I wanted to bring up, you talked about how we, we are always, well, we, we, we addressed the CB1 with Darius Slay, but we're like, they had all this faith and confidence in Avante Maddox, but I mentioned it in, in at the beginning of the year and in the offseason that I had no faith in Avante Maddox because I don't think he's an outside corner. We saw what happened last year when he went up against Avante Adams. Now, granted, Adams is one of the better receivers in football, but he can't, like, he he's too he's he's too small, and while he he has speed, he bites too much, and, and receivers are able to take advantage. They released... Sidney Jones and Rasul Douglas, and we talk. I feel like we talk about this all the time. They released those two. Rasul Douglas is starting in Carolina in a scheme that fits him, and Sidney Jones got had an interception last week for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and is getting a lot of play because they're putting him in a system that fits him. This is where you you know you have to stop trying to fit personnel into your scheme and fit your scheme around the personnel that you have. Don't you know Jalen Mills has moved back to cornerback and he's got to play. Tw- 12 to 15 yards off because he's not fast and like but if you put him up maybe he can use his his length and his skill um his, his um aggressiveness aggressiveness thank he you. loves to be aggressive yeah like let him use that up against the receiver because if if you're playing him off 10 to 12 yards off of receiver on third and eight if i'm a quarterback i'll throw the hitch all day long that's an easy first down and that's what happens when you ever the eagles get into a third and long it just seems like they give up these because they're, they're either playing that dumb picket fence defense or they're playing the corners too far off. And, and a, a, a veteran quarterback who has seen all types of defenses could just look at a receiver and, and they're on the same page. We'll throw the hitch. We'll get the first down and we'll go from there. I don't know what's going on. Like, I'm not saying Jim Schwartz is a bad defensive <clears throat> coordinator because I don't think he is. But I feel like he overthinks and, is, and he's trying to fit what he has into his scheme instead of fitting his scheme around the players that he has on this particular defense. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's it, it feels like the old saying, he's trying to fit a square peg in a, in a circle hole, and it's just mm-hmm. not working out because you can see it with my boy, Rasul Douglas. You know, I loved Sewell. You know, I've, I always I wanted him to do well in Philadelphia. Some of his best games were when Jim Schwartz allowed him to play up. He needs that five yards of window where he can hand fight and be aggressive and buy the defensive line some more time. And that's what he's doing in Carolina. And that's how he's succeeding in in Carolina. And good for him. I'm glad that he got out. I'm glad that he's succeeding. And my thing is, like, when seeing all this Nate Gary hate, I can almost guarantee that if Nate Gary leaves Philadelphia, if by some uh, crazy reason Howie Roseman and Jim Schwartz love affair stops... (laughs) <laughs> he will go and he will succeed elsewhere. No, in a he, in a he will. I bet you he will go and succeed elsewhere in a three four defense where he's got a couple other linebackers around him who can help mask his weaknesses and he can do his thing. No, I can no, almost he, guarantee. If he were to leave, he's not a he's not going to start anywhere. He will be a special teams player. He will he will leave. This will be the one player that leaves, goes to another team, and won't see the field. Like he people will not put him out there on defense. Unless all he's doing is rushing the quarterback, and even that probably wouldn't work. He will be a special teams player. He will not start anywhere else in the NFL. Now, speaking of these failures, I do want to touch on this because this week was uh, these draft failures, these personnel failures. Mm-hmm. I posted something on our Twitter a little while back. Apparently, Jim Schwartz wanted to draft Kenneth Murray in round one, Jeremy Chin in round two, and Howie Roseman made the ultimate call on both. Jalen Rager, we're not going to knock too hard on that one, but the Jalen Hurts pick is the main one that people are knocking right now. Apparently, Howie Roseman is the one, basically, it sounds like Doug Peterson and Jim Schwartz say these are the people we want, and Howie Roseman makes a final call on the on it. And you told me you had an article also that mm-hmm. talked about how Howie Roseman is basically... He he asks to see he makes a call on who touches the field. Yeah, he determines the actives and inactives pretty much, yeah. So Howie Roseman's catching a lot of flack. Doug Peterson was catching a lot of flack for the first few weeks of the season and the, the culture and, and what's going on and is he stressed out? Is is like the issues that are going on there with him and Carson Wentz. So what well, what's your take on 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 Howie Roseman? I mean, my take on it is he he feels calm. I think it's an ego thing. He's yeah. built a Cinderella team from scratch, from the the depths of the Chip Kelly era to the Cinderella Super Bowl team with Nick Foles at quarterback, Carson Wentz with an MVP caliber season, and then he was making all he's doing all this like all this contract work this crazy contract work he looks like a genius now kicking the can down the road down the road down the road down the road and boom now we've hit a wall and now he wants to dig this team out of the hell he put them in and by making pretty much every single personnel and player decision humanly possible eerily eerily similar of chip kelly almost and at this point now we really have to wonder what is going on the front office in Philadelphia because this is a major major if more stuff comes out and to to add to this story as being true this is a major issue when we have a major cap issues coming for the next two to three years yeah there's definitely a big power struggle when it comes to to what's happening with the Eagles um you're and I'm, I'm with you I think that winning the Super Bowl was probably the it could be, and you hate to say winning a Super Bowl is a downfall. But that could be the downfall for Howie Roseman because he thinks if I did it one year, I can do it. I can do it another year. So I'll keep signing these vets to one-year deals, or I'll keep you know maneuvering money around in contracts to to, to make a, a trade here or a trade there. And it hasn't worked since then. And the team has you know the team has regressed since then. Um, his his drafting hasn't been that great. He he overthinks now. Jalen Hurts fan. I loved him at Alabama. You saw what he was able to do at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley. Um, you know, he had a, it was one play, but he, you know, he had a strike to Jordan. Um, excuse me, to Richard Rodgers last week uh, against the Steelers. But I, you know, they need to get somebody in here that 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 knows football. That that's a football guy. You know, that can read the personnel that and that doesn't want to have a say in game day, you know, the game day roster. Leave that up to the coaches. If you don't believe that, you know, Doug Peterson has the capability to to put the game day roster together, what is he doing here? Why is he here? What is the point? Why don't you go down on the field and coach? You put the headset on. Um, 
So, you know, there definitely is this big power struggle that's happening in Philadelphia. And the Eagles, or Jeffrey Lurie, needs to sit Howie down and tell him to stay out of of that. You know, let him let him handle excuse me, the the cap situation. Let him handle the, the contracts. Bring somebody in that knows what the heck they're doing. They need like they need a, an Ozzie Newsom type. They um I don't maybe Joe Douglas was that guy and we'll see what he's able to do with the Jets and so far that hasn't gone over too well. But like they need to bring somebody in to handle all the football decisions because that is what's lacking now. And Howie Roseman is putting his just trying to have as too much of a say and it's really hurting the team right now. Yeah, like I mean, like I think also you know how much people pride the coaching tree, just as much that Joe Douglas ended up getting a job as an executive with the New York Jets and he's starting to turn some things around there. He's starting to put his stamp on it with the release of Le'Veon Bell and some other moves that he's making. Maybe it's just as much the executive tree too. And he's like, Oh yeah, look my uh, my closest assistant went and got a job as a senior executive with another team for player personnel and I mean I love Howie Roseman and I love what he did but at so, at some point you eventually your strategy becomes I don't want to say null but it becomes old it mm-hmm. becomes ineffective and I think mm-hmm. at this point he's trying to retool on the fly and he realized he's hit a $63 million wall at the end of this year that he literally needs to accumulate a crap load of draft picks. He literally needs to sell at this trade deadline to get us out of this cap hell. And it is a shame. Yeah. The only thing about selling, like the division is so bad. He's not going to want to sell because it's going to come down the week 16 Eagles, Cowboys and and Dallas most likely. And he's going to, he, he still thinks, which they obviously do because of how bad the division is that they have a chance to win the division. And once you get into the playoffs, anything can happen. Um, And we obviously want Carson Wentz to get playoff experience, you know, not counting last year, obviously, because he got hurt after halfway through the first quarter, like after eight plays or something. But so they're not going to sell. Should they sell? I I mean, it's tough to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. I honestly don't know only because of the like if if Dallas was running away with the division right now, if Dallas was what are they two and three? If Dallas was four and one and we're still sitting at one, three and one, one hundred percent I agree with you. We're not gonna win the division. Dallas is gonna run away with it. Let them have it this year and, and try to fix your cap situation, get re- trading, whether it's uh Zach Ertz or whether you're able to find somebody to take Alshon Jeffrey or or whatnot. But you're you're you have a chance to get to the playoffs and that's uh, hosting a playoff game especially with fans finally starting to come back and if that starts happening you know that's revenue for for the team that they haven't seen yet this year so honestly like i don't think they're going to sell because of the opportunity to still win the division so i mean before the trade deadline the eagles have the ravens this week then they have the giants then they have the cowboys then they have a buy, and then they have the Giants, and then I think it's the trade. The trade, I think the trade deadline. Yeah, the trade deadline is November third, and the only reason I know that's because it's the same day that's voting uh, election day here in, in in the U.S. So the Eagles have the Giants and the Cow, a uh, Ravens, Giants, Cowboys. If you go two and one in that stretch, you're three, four, and one, and probably in first place in the division because Dallas has. Um, the, the Cardinals this week, then I think they have Washington and then they have us. So that, the, the Eagles could in theory be three, four, and one Dallas could be three and five and you're in first place in the division. So I mean, for, for me, I don't personally even care about the record. I get what you're saying and I get where you're coming from. But at the end of the day, if you're not a seller, it just makes this offseason even harder. And it'll make it an even harder pill to swallow for Eagles fans when he's forced to move some of these people or forced to cut some of these contracts. And I'm not talking you sell Deshaun Jackson or you sell Alshon Jeffrey. There's enough right, right. savings in them to ride them out for the rest of the year as much as we hate it. There's enough savings to hold them for the remainder of this year and sell next year. I'm talking Derek Barnett. I'm talking Zach Ertz. I'm talking 
if you look down the road the next three years, I'm talking look at those massive contracts. Move those massive contracts. That's well, what you need to I, sell. I, I think if you if you trade, you're not selling if you trade Derek Barnett. I just don't think Derek Barnett's any good. And I'd rather see, I'm at the point where I'd rather see Josh Sweat out there. And if Vinny Curry's going to come back, you know, I'd see him out there. I, depending on who you trade, you could trade him and still not be in sell mode. Like if you're trading Derek Barnett, that's not sell mode. Um, I get, for me, it's just the idea of the cap. The fact that that's a $10 million cap hit next year, you try and move that. So that's a good sell. Like I'm talking, you're selling these big contractor contracts or you're selling these guys who you don't think right, so you're going to resign. So you're not talking about going into like, like when they talk buy or sell. I'm not going, no, I'm not going, your- I'm not talking full rebuild mode. I'm talking, you sell what you know you can't control going forward. And at this point, Zach Ertz has proven literally these last two weeks, he's been, he ghosted the Philadelphia Eagles <laughs> completely. And Howie Roseman, despite what we think, and we're sitting there, oh, Howie, what are you doing? Howie, what are you doing? That was one of the most genius moves not to re-sign Zach Ertz. Love it or hate it, he was trying to take advantage of an extremely hot tight end market. And Howie said, I got to get through this offseason first. I got to see what we have for money. And Zach Ertz was upset about it. And how he's like, too bad. I'm not letting you take advantage of a hot market because I can't afford to have this another massive contract on the book without figuring my shit out going forward. And boom, here we are looking like an absolute genius because he's probably he's not even a top 10 tight end this year. So, I mean, maybe when Dallas Goddard comes back, he starts to reemerge because some attention goes to Dallas Goddard. But nonetheless, if you can't prove to be a capable tight end by yourself, why like no don't don't go wasting your money on Zacherts. i love Zacherts. no disrespect to Zacherts. i absolutely love Zacherts, and i would love to see him stay in an eagles jersey but if he's trying to take advantage of a hot market props up to howie for backing out of that yeah i mean he definitely hasn't been the same and i thought i had thought on, on wentz's first interception that he gave up on the play but he got bumped and there probably should have been a flag on that i'm um, not saying he would have caught it but um because he he's had a couple of drops recently but he also, I mean, that's a, that's if they called the ticky tack uh, pass interference on Darius Slay, which was not in the, which gifted the the Steelers a uh, seven points, and there were a couple pass interference which gifted the Steelers touchdowns in in the first half. I, I you have to throw that flag there on on Wentz's first interception because uh, you're you're bumping him off his route, and that was that was beyond five yards, I'm pretty sure. So you that has to be a penalty, and you take the interception off the board, which also I'm pretty sure. The Steelers may have scored a touchdown after that interception. So, you know, the Eagles are going the other way. If you put points, whether it's three or seven, it could be a totally different game. But um, yeah, and I mean, thing- listen, but my my issue with looking back at the the penalties and I pointed it out in our in the, my post game write up. And I know that one of them did lead to a touchdown in favor of the Steelers. We the, the Eagles actually got more penalty yards in their favor by two yards. We had one more penalty against us, but we had more yards in our favor. And at the end of the day, it's a nine point game. And if you're looking at penalties, it means there was a lot closer opportunities throughout the game that the Eagles failed to capitalize on. And you can definitely tell by the inability of the defense to stop certain plays and the inability of the offense to capitalize on some certain plays. So whenever you're looking, that's what I find hilarious about looking at the NFL. When teams zoom in on a penal on penalties as a reason for their loss or as a reason to be frustrated, which it's a reason to be frustrated. I get it. But that just means that it was a really close game and there's some other things that should have happened during the game, some adjustments that should have been made and some things that should have happened to swing the this pendulum a little bit more in our favor to get that victory. Well, I agree with that. I just want consistency from the the refs. If you're gonna call it one way, call it the other way. You're and you know that it. you know that that's never gonna happen because well, I know, but if, and every- if you're not gonna if you're not gonna call it both ways, don't call it at all. Like there, that is a big pendulum swing. If you're gonna call that on Darius Slade, which it definitely was not a pass interference, and there were a lot of even professionals that were all over Twitter that were like, "What the heck was that? That wasn't anything." If you're going to call that ticky-tack foul on him, you have to call the, the one where Zach Ertz got hit. Um, I do want to point out, bear in round. mind, if it happened for the Eagles side of it, people would be up in arms to why there wasn't a penalty called. Just saying. So if you want not, consistency no, 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 the no, refs, no. Not on Darius Slay. There no, was no, not – Darius No, but like say that was – Say that was say that was Jalen Rager running down the sideline and he got a little bit of a tug and no. it didn't get called. 
you know that Eagles fans would have been up know. in arms. They would have zoomed in on that replay and they would have said, look at where I he wouldn't have because a little bit. It's happened time and time again where they, the refs just let them play. They, they let them go. Like, if they're battling, hand-checking down the field, both go both ways, they let them play. I, I, so me as a football, as, as, as a football fan, I am like, don't, don't throw the fight, let them battle. And they, they definitely the- should. They absolutely should. And I think that somebody was saying on sports talk radio the other day that during the first like two weeks of the season, it was the least amount of penalties called in, in an NFL season through the first two weeks. And suddenly the flags started going over these past couple weeks, big time. And I think they're just trying to make up for what they missed or I don't know. They, they feel they've lost the refs lost the attention. Oh, I haven't screwed a game up in a while. Let me throw a flag or something here. I think maybe, maybe that's what happened. I don't, I don't understand, but I did hear something about that, that the, the amount of penalties called in Flagstone was at an all-time low for the first week or two. Despite, and I think the, we're starting to see them make up for that. The best sporting event is when the refs are, aren't noticeable. And the first couple of weeks, they were, they, like you said, they weren't. And now they're, they're trying to, um, to make themselves known, and that's not what we want as sports fans. The last yeah. thing I want to bring up about this Pittsburgh game before we move on. Uh, so Miles Sanders had that 71-yard touchdown run outrunning the Pittsburgh defense. The rest of the game, and and last week you were talking about you didn't think Sanders would have a good day just because it was Steelers, se- it was seventy four by the way. Uh, that's did I not say seventy four? You said seventy one, but oh, just sorry. Small correction. Seventy four yard run. The rest of the game he had ten carries for six yards. Um, now we know that the the Steelers run defense is and the Steelers defense in general coming into the game is really good. T.J. Watt, Bud Dupree. Um, and then Hayden and Minka Fitzpatrick in the secondary, like that's a really good defense. And neither of us expected the Eagles to put up 29 points, and they did. Mm-hmm. Does that give you kind of um, does that give you optimism going forward for this offense that with Travis Fulgham's breakout game and Carson Wentz is finally starting to look like you know look you know a capable quarterback, even though he's still turning the football over, like. Does that give you some optimism moving forward for this offense to start putting points on the board? And if the defense can figure it out a little bit, we can we can start winning some of these games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like Miles Sanders, you take away that run and he does have a bad game on his plate. But I mean, that's a tough defense. And the fact that you can get that one big run, that was huge, a massive shift at the end of the first quarter for us. It's just unfortunate that we couldn't do anything further with it going forward for the rest of the game. Um, but I mean, you got Greg Ward and you got Travis Volgum who are doing really good. They're really impressing me. Even Greg Ward is, I mean, I know he's not as much of a focal point as he was last year, but when the ball is thrown to him, he's got some sticky hands and he's making the catches and he's making the plays. He had that nice, uh, touchdown pass from Carson Wentz, uh, to end the third quarter there. And, um, but Travis Volgum, like I, I, we okay we hate Deshaun Jackson and we or we don't hate him but we don't hate Deshaun Jackson so we we are annoyed by Deshaun Jackson and what's happened with him we're annoyed by Alshon Jeffrey and what's happened with him but I cannot stress how important it will be to have them back in the lineup but Carson Wentz not make them a focal point of the offense the importance of having an Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson and a Dallas Goddard back in the lineup is huge if you're putting up 29 points without those three names and those three names suddenly come back into your lineup I have so much more optimism in this football team than ever before and if Carson Wentz can clean up those interceptions because I think he's at what like five six touchdowns nine interceptions now this year if he can clean that up we are definitely headed headed in the right direction and the offense is looking like we thought but Doug Peterson cannot screw this up I I pound the table on this. He cannot screw this up in is regards it, to a, when Jeffrey comes back and when Jackson comes back. Do not is give it them Doug, though, the, or is it Howie? I, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, Howie can say this is who I want on the field. But Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson make the decision on who to pass the ball to. So you can't keep you can't put the blame on him in that situation because you can say, all right, Howie, like let let's take a look back at the Nate Gary situation. Nate Gary goes onto the field. Maybe, maybe Jim Schwartz isn't making adjustments because he wants to say, if it's true about what Howie's doing, hey, Howie, watch this. He's a royal screw-up. 
get him off my field, stop putting him in, stop making me make him the LB1 on this team. Maybe, maybe. They're conspiracy theories. You never know. So the situation with this is if you get Deshaun Jackson and and every back in, don't target them 20% of the time, 25% of the time. Don't make them the big hogs on the field like they have been in the past few years. You have your guys that you need to use. You need to use Travis Fulgham. You need to use Greg Wood. You need to tell yourselves and you need to look at Howie and say, we don't need these two guys next year. Let them go, which there's already reports saying that they have a 0% chance of being on the team next year, which is the most obvious statement ever made because I I predicted that last year that they should be gone by this year because of how bad the cap situation is. So if there's even a 1% chance, you need to make sure they go out there and don't touch the ball and only impact the game by taking a cornerback or taking a safety or taking a linebacker's attention, not by taking Wentz's attention or Peterson's attention in that offense. I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying, and Doug, Doug does have a, a, a big, you know, decision to make when Alshon's healthy, Deshaun's healthy, Rager's healthy, um, Fogelman with with I completely Ford, forgot about Jalen Rager. That's Walken. terrible. Like they have a lot of bodies there. Um, obviously, I think if say everybody with all being the same, everybody healthy, you'll see Deshaun, um, Alshon. Fogelman and Ward will be your top four. Actually, I forgot Rager. And Rager, there's your top five receivers. Um, and you you obviously want to keep Fogelman on the field right now. Now it's gonna be interesting though. Now you have team you're gonna have teams starting to prepare for him. Um now you're gonna have a really good defense. Now let's, let's transition to this Baltimore game. You have a really good defense. Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, um at, at the safety or at the cornerback positions, uh Patrick Queen. At the linebacker position, <clears throat> um, sorry. At dear me. friend LJ, LJ Fort, Fort at the linebacker position. Yeah. Um, and then up front they have Calais Campbell, um, Derek. Well, like they have a really good defense coming, a really physical defense, the type of defense that we love here in Philadelphia and that that John Harbaugh is building. You know, following in the Jim Johnson footsteps, um, in the way in which he's building his team. If Fulgham could have another big game, and I'm not expecting 10 catches, 150 yards, and, and, and a touchdown like he had last week, excuse me, but if he could have another, you know, seven catches, 90-some-odd yards and a touchdown, he's a legit real deal. And apparently, like, Jalen Hurts and Nate Sudfeld were really talking up Fulgham to, to Carson because he's, he's always been on the practice squad. He was always on the scout team, and, and these quarterbacks – play on the scout team with, with, you know, when they're um, running the offense for the, the opponent for the upcoming week. And they were right about what he's able to do out on the field. I'm intrigued to see if he can continue that against a really good defense this week. Man, he, he'll be able to do it against the Giants, most likely. He'll be able to do it against the Cowboys, most likely. I want to see him against a legit defense. And Pittsburgh was a legit defense. And we saw it. If he can do it again, again against Pittsburgh this, or excuse me, Baltimore this week, you can't take him off the field. No, absolutely not, because I know that at the start of the week when Doug Peterson was questioned about it, he kind of skipped around the idea of what happens when Jeffrey and, and Jackson come back to the lineup. And that's not something you skip around. You say Travis Fulgham is finding time on that field and he's going to be on that field, not beat around the bush and kind of say, well, well, we'll see how he fits into the mold then. No, no, no. You can't take these young guys off the field. This is building chemistry with Carson Wentz. This is saving you dollars next year. This is building for the future. This is retooling at its finest. But like you said, you have to see Travis Fulgham prove it again. He took off, I think it was 15 targets, 16 targets. It was an absurd amount of targets. But even if he takes half those targets and still makes five or six catches, he's still a vital part of that mm-hmm. offense. And it means that if he doesn't get as many targets, it means he's not as wide open. And it means he's drawing attention from maybe safeties over top or a tighter cornerback play. And that is likely opening up Greg Ward, Zach Ertz, John Hightower, who I'm not, I still haven't lost faith in John Hightower. He's looked good. He's looked okay. He's just got to create that separation and get open more because every throw to him is really, yeah. And but every throw to him is really tight. It seems like a really tight window. It seems like he's not creating separation. Um, 
And it would be nice to see J.J. Ortega-Whiteside do a little bit more, too. But Travis Fulgham definitely took the J.J. Ortega-Whiteside role because he was high-pointing some balls, high-pointing some catches. He was looking like a stud. He was looking like the second-round pick that J.J. Ortega-Whiteside was. I think Fulgham was drafted in the – people say he was undrafted, but he wasn't undrafted. It was the fifth or the sixth round that he was drafted in. Um so he was drafted deep, and he's got, like, the J.J. Ortega-Whiteside talent that we were hoping for. But like you said, to prove it against the Ravens offense, and like I said, like you said, like I said, he doesn't have to draw 15 targets and make 10 receptions to prove this to us. If he draws eight or nine targets and makes five or six catches, maybe throws in a TD there and gets close to 100 yards, that I consider that the real deal. Because how many times have we seen a guy put up 100 yards on our offense at the wide receiver position in the last two, three years. It's rare that we're seeing that happen. So that proves it to me. And if he's opening up Greg Ward and he's opening up John Hightower and he's opening up Zach Ertz and he's opening up Miles Sanders, that just means that people, that teams are actually paying attention to him and teams are actually game planning for him, which would be huge to see more people getting open and to see Wentz be able to spread the ball around even more. Yeah, it definitely would be a giant. So let's move to the, to the Baltimore Ravens, and of course they have MVP Lamar Jackson, who was drafted at the spot in which the Eagles had to pick uh, back in 2018, but they traded it to the Ravens, um, moved back, and they ended up drafting Dallas Goddard. Um, they the Eagles used Jalen Hurts as as the scout team quarterback this week um, because while he's not as fast as as Lamar Jackson, he kind of has the same um, attributes, the same athleticism a little bit. Um, this is a, a Pretty much, they're a run-heavy team. Obviously, uh, they led the league in rushing last year. Mark Ingram um, and Gus Gus Edwards are the running backs. Marquise Brown and and then you're going to talk about Miles Boykin, who you think has a chance to have a, a breakout game. And then at the tight end position, the Eagles have struggled with the tight ends um, recently. Mark Andrews and Nick Boyle. Um, the Eagles are have to find a way to stop this offense. I mean, they're going to be really physical at the point of attack. This is where your defensive tackles, the ones that you're paying a lot of money to, they need to step up. They need to make a difference. Uh, Brandon Graham and, and, and Josh Sweat, you have to read. This is where you cannot come crashing down because Lamar Jackson will keep the ball and he will make you pay if they're running those RPOs. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, it is a tough, I mean, Lamar Jackson's definitely not having as good of a season as he did last year, but uh-huh. he's still, he's still a threat. You know, he's a threat in a defense like ours that's struggling, that has a good game, has a really bad game like they did last week. I think I put the stat out uh, Monday morning. Last year, we gave up two 30-point games. This year, we're at two 30-point games and we're only in week six. So you're already at two 30-point games given up, and we're not even halfway through the season. So you got this like very, you got this very ticky-tacky defense that you're going up against, and this is a great game for Lamar Jackson to get right after having two pretty two tougher games. Um, but yeah, like you said, Marquise Brown's going to be a true test, a real test for Darius Slay, who's really stepped up for us, who's really done exactly come exactly as advertised. Um, but yeah, you, I pointed out Miles Boykin a little bit earlier. This is a 90th percentile athlete across the board. He's got that sub 4-4 speed. He's got that 90th percentile catch radius. He's he's like similar to Chase Claypool in the athletic metrics and in the size metrics. I think he's 6'4", 220 or something, a little bit smaller than Chase Claypool. But if you can get him into the open field and you can get him taking advantage of the openings that could be created by Mark Andrews and Nick Boyle or Devin DuVernay stealing some attention of the linebackers and safeties, I wouldn't be surprised to see Miles Boykin have a big game because he can take advantage of that last standing linebacker or in the middle who odds are pretty good. It'll be Nate Gary and he might be able to take advantage of that game. Do I expect a Chase Claypool game? Definitely not. That's that's like those once uh, once a season games that you hope your defense gives up only once or twice a season um, now that the cornerback position is covered. Um, but hopefully there's a bit more adjustment by, by uh Jim Schwartz this week in relation to the middle of the field and not allowing those tight ends, making sure that the linebackers and safeties are communicating and working together and and bodying up on those guys and not giving them any space uh, whatsoever. Um, 
because they, you know that this offense can produce. You got Willie Sneed, you got Marquise Brand, you got Miles Boykin, who are all like right around 4-4 speed guys. You got Mark Andrews, who was an absolute monster at the tight end position. Nick Boyle, who's actually a pretty underrated tight end in, in his own regard. He he was just kind of buried behind Hayden Hurst last year and Mark Andrews last year. So Nick Boyle's just like the the next, like he's he's do, taking on the Hayden Hurst role and he does eat up a body. He does draw some attention because he can make some plays happen and he can make some good catches. So yeah, this is, uh this is, the, and we haven't even, that's not even starting to talk about that backfield that they have with Mark Ingram, JK Dobbins and Gus the bus. Like you got some bit, you got some guys who can bang out in, in out of the backfield and who can really play well. And Dobbins is averaging, I think seven yards per carry. So it's only a matter of time before the Ravens finally full on release him and push Mark Ingram aside, in my opinion. That's why I drafted J.K. Dobbins because I figured by the by by the latter part of this year, I think it it could become Dobbins' show, um, and he can make help me in the in a in a playoff run in fantasy football. But um, I'm gonna move over to that defense again. I talked about how physical they are. Patrick Queen in the middle linebacker, somebody who the Eagles could have drafted um, instead of Jalen Rager. Obviously, we talked about the needs at wide receiver, and that that was always a position the Eagles were gonna target. But then their corners, Marcus Marlon Humphrey from Alabama and Marcus Peters. Um, and they, they have, they're, they're good. Like they're going to come, they're going to battle. They're going to put their hands on you. So this is going to be a big test for Travis Fulham. And if, again, I mentioned it, if he's able to win these battles, he's not going to win everyone. And we, don't, we shouldn't expect him to, but if he can win the battles against, you know, Marcus Peters or Marlon Humphrey, whoever he's going up against, you know, then the Eagles offense is going to have to put up points. The thing that we really need, is we need Carson to be smart, and we need them to run the football. You're not going to always bust off a 70-yard touchdown run, but you have to stick with it. There's no reason for Miles Sanders to have 11 carries in a game. Yes, I understand that the Eagles were, were down for, for most of the game, but early on they weren't, and the Eagles still continued to pass the football. You know, We know that Carson, he's finally starting to look like Carson, and he's, hasn't, he's looked better every game this year. But when you have a quarterback that is struggling, what can get him? What can help him out? You you get rid of the ball quick, you, or you hand off the ball to your running back, and that's something that the Eagles weren't doing and haven't been doing, but they need to start doing. Um, and you have the the running back to do that. You know, um, Doug talked about it this week when he was asked about Le'Veon Bell when he got cut by the Jets before signing with the Chiefs, and he said, "We have a three down back back in Miles. All right, well use them. That's all I ask. Use use Miles Sanders because we're going to waste his years." And by the time his contract's up, he's not going to want to resign here because you're never giving him the football. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, like he was getting the football decently last week. I mean, I think he had, what, 15 carries. So, I mean, it wasn't like 11 carries. So it wasn't a massive amount of carries. But I think it was becoming quite clear after that 74-yard run that this defense was closing in on Miles Sanders. They were going to make Miles Sanders' day tough. And to just continue to risk him by driving the ball down, driving the ball into the Steelers' defensive line probably wasn't a good idea so I mean I guess I get I understand and the negative game script that was starting to play out as the third quarter came where we were down 31-14 at one point you move away from the run and that makes 100% sense it was a smart idea by Doug Peterson obviously you probably could use Miles Sanders a little bit more in the uh, passing game but Miles Sanders was even struggling to make much happen in that game in the passing game last week I think he had three catches for 19 yards or something along those lines um but this is another tough game for, for Miles Sanders. You can run him all you want, but it's going to be a tough game. In in coverage, he's going to have guys like Patrick Queen and LJ Fort covering him. Um, when you look, you got Matt Judon, you got Calais Campbell, you got Derek Wolf, you got some big boys in your face all day. I would actually argue that the Ravens' defense is better than the Steelers' defense. And it's a lot, but I think for the opposite reason, I think the Steelers have a better defensive line. I do think that the Ravens have a better, once you get up beyond that, it gets tougher. The linebackers, the cornerbacks, and the safeties aren't bad um, in their own right. So, I mean, I think once you get to that second level in that open field, they're going to make it a tough day. And I don't see a 74-yard run touchdown in in Miles Sanders' Sunday future. Um but I didn't I do, think it was going to happen last week either. I didn't think it was going to happen then either. And But somehow that offensive line opened up a hole, which good on them because they need to open. If you can open up one or two holes a game, Doug, uh, uh, 
Uh, Miles Sanders is a big play waiting to happen. And so, of course, if you open up the right hole and he can get through and then he can make a couple guys miss in the open field, uh, well, then, yeah, you're going to get those types of runs. And, and, I mean, you can't predict those runs, but we love to see those runs, and we hope that the offensive line can do that. Yeah, speaking of the offensive line, um, one of uh, a couple of the seven inj- seven guys that are out this week, Matt Pryor and Lane Johnson, are not playing. So your Eagles offensive line is going to be Jordan Maialata, who looked good at, at left tackle. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, even with, with Jason Peters being a couple weeks away, I wouldn't be shocked if they stick with Maialata and move Peters back to right guard. Your left guard is Nate Herbig. Your center is Jason Kelsey. Your right guard is... Um, Must be Driscoll. No, is Driscoll's Driscoll? the right tackle. Your oh, yeah, right Driscoll's... Your right guard is... Oh, it's um, uh, Jamon Brown. Oh, yeah, Jamon Brown, who they who they got from the Falcons practice squad, I think. And then your right tackle is Driscoll. Um, I don't know if this is the offensive line you want going up against this defense. <laughs> no, but on the, bri- <laughs> on the bright side... Two of the worst offensive linemen this season have been Jason Peters and the worst, Matt Pryor. Matt Pryor. So it does <laughs> not hurt. It actually does not hurt. I think it can't get any worse and if Driscoll, you have Jamon Brand there and giving it a and, shot. And Driscoll has been pretty good when he's had the opportunity to play. We saw him against um, Chase Young in week one, <laughs> and he actually did a good job. You know, do you think that the Eagles, because it's very rare that the Eagles put out, like they give out designations this early and they did it on a Friday. Do you think the Eagles are pretty much saying, we'll see what happens this week, but we have a more important game on Thursday against a division opponent. So you'll see Deshaun, Alshon, Lane Johnson, like uh, Avante Maddox, maybe Marcus, like all these guys that are out this on Sunday. Would it be a surprise to you if come Thursday they're all magically healthy and they're going to play in that game? I wouldn't be shocked. I honestly would not be surprised. Why risk the health of these guys when you can just kick the can down the road and put them in against a New York Giants team that's mm-hmm. beat up in their own right without Saquon Barkley? And, and it just is a not... more important game because it's a division game. Definitely is a more important game. If you go 2-4-1 over, over this next week, I'm not actually upset with that. If somehow you get to 3-3-1, three, three and one, well, then you right. de- if first if you get through this Ravens, game with a win and the offensive line looking good that offense looking good well holy crap we have a whole nother discussion to have about Uh a the offensive line and when guys like jason peters and matt Pryor come back and b what do you do with alshon jeffrey and deshaun jackson if travis fulgham miles sanders zacherts greg ward john hightower and the likes of them are producing for a second week in a row then Uh it's a whole nother ball game because i mean we put up 29 points. We lost, but we also put up like 350 yards of offense too. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there was a lot of garbage time. Carson Wentz throwing, trying to, trying to, you know, trying to get the points, trying to get the yards, trying to get us in position to get some scores back. But ultimately, that's still a lot of yardage. That's still impressive garbage time or, or non-garbage time against that oh, defense. Yeah, against that defense, exactly. So we have a whole other thing to talk about on next Tuesday if we're two, three, and one. Definitely, and it's going to be a big game. So before we get to our our predictions, uh, one of our favorite segments, the unheralded player of the week in the National Football League. And again, uh, just in case nobody uh, has heard heard this segment, you know we're not talking about the Lamar Jacksons and and Patrick Mahomes of the world. We're talking about those guys that like fly under the radar but have a sneaky good game that you did not expect. Who is your unheralded player of the week? Mine is. One of the most disrespected running backs in the NFL right now. And the RB1 ahead of him has got to go. And that's Chase Edmonds. Chase Edmonds had a really good game for the second week in a row with ridiculously limited touches. He continues to produce while playing like 40% of snaps where Kenyon Drake's getting like 80 and 90% of the snaps. So definitely Chase Edmonds. This was a fantasy pick and just looking at what he's doing by himself. He's got crazy production premium. The minute he touches the ball, he's doing some really good things for this offense. And they put Kenyon Drake on a transition tag, which means if you really have faith in Kenyon Drake being your guy going forward, you wouldn't have put a transition tag for one year on this guy. So I think that they're preparing to move on. I think they just already got to just move on. Okay. Uh, he, he did have a good game last week. I'm going to go for the guy who, torched us because he he didn't even expect to, to be that big part of the game plan 
and that's Chase Claypool. Four touchdowns, three, three receiving, one rushing. Um, pretty much the one that broke the Eagles back on third and eight when he just ran right by Nate Gary. Nate Gary standing flat-footed, thinking that he'd be able to run with Chase Claypool. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when you have a guy who, who goes into a game not expecting to be a big part of the game plan and comes out with four touchdowns, I think it's safe to say he, uh, he didn't even have those expectations for himself. So I'm going to go with Chase Claypool in their victory over the Philadelphia Eagles. Chase Claypool is the obvious pick. I yeah, couldn't I just roll with an obvious pick. I, I had know, to. but I had I, I couldn't show my my I couldn't show my green favoritism with that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean we've given him enough praise now. I'm I'm, di- I'm almost disgusted by Chase Claypool with the amount of praise <laughs> we've had to give this week. So yeah, I know. All right, so let's move to our game picks. Philadelphia Eagles hosting the Baltimore Ravens at, with fans at the link for the first time this year. There should be about 5,500 to 6,000 fans. They can have 7,000 total in the stadium, but that includes coaches, players, stadium personnel, and whatnot. So that's going to be between 5,500 and 6,000 fans at the link. So the Eagles won't have to, or so they won't have to have fake boos when the Eagles go three and out for like the 10th straight time this week. Um, what are your your thoughts on this game? Any uh, keys to the game and what the Eagles, or hopefully the Eagles can win, what can help them to win, and your score prediction? No, uh, well, we kind of touched on some of the keys to the game, man. You got to shore up the middle of that damn field for one week. Mm-hmm. You got to stop Mark Andrews. You got to stop Devin DuVernay or Miles Boykin or Willie Sneed, whoever's going to come out of the slot there. J.K. Dobbins, Mark Ingram, there's so many weapons, but you just got to stop the bleeding. If it's a third down and they go to the slot and they get the first down on a third and eight or something like like you just alluded to, uh, we, we've seen enough of that. You got to shore up the middle of that field. You got to get the safeties really watching the game, watching the field and making sure that they're there to make the plays because a lot of these third downs, these third and eights or whatever that they're connecting on would never, would very rarely happen under the watchful eye of Malcolm Jenkins. Malcolm Jenkins was that short mm-hmm. thing tackler. He'd see the game. He'd see the whole play starting to come out and chase Claypool on that third and eight would now have gotten that first down. Miles, my, Malcolm Jenkins would have been there and would have crushed him probably two or three yards short. Um, so it's important for the for them to show up the middle of the field. And I mean, Jim Schwartz has proved his point. Nate Gary is a piece of garbage. We know he's a flaming piece of garbage. So stop trying to prove it. Do whatever's best for your team. Make the adjustments that you have to make to show up the middle of that field. Um, I think that has to be the biggest one for me. Uh, when you flip to the offensive side of the ball, man, Zach Ertz has got to, got to come back and play some football, man. He used to be one of the biggest weapons for us. And maybe the Dallas Goddard not being there means there's a lot more attention on him in the middle of the field. But he's got to find a way to get open. He's got to find a way to make the catches because he's had a couple had a couple back-breaking drops. He has got to start producing again. It's been painful to watch him disappear. As much as it helps freeing up cap space, the idea of moving on from him, we need him to produce now and we need him to continue to produce because his last two weeks of like, what, like maybe 20 yards on five or six catches is not what we need. We need a lot more from Zachary. So he has to definitely start producing. Um, Prediction? I think it could be reminiscent of the Eagles and the Steelers because I think that the Ravens could put up a lot of points and then the Eagles are going to have to come back and just start throwing the ball a ton and start putting up points. But I do think we're going to lose. But I do think it's a really interesting discussion come Tuesday if they do get to 2-3-1 and get this victory. Um, But I think we're looking at – I'm looking at 32-21 for the Ravens, I think. Okay. I agree with you with your sentiments about everything you said in terms of what to watch for in the game. Uh, mine is that the Eagles offensive line um, missing six starters, technically, you know, if you want to go back to um, um, Andre Dillard, six guys that were potentially supposed to be starting on this offensive line are missing. We have one and that's Jason Kelsey with, with all these young guys. Um, they're going to have, it's a tough front. We've talked about it. Derek Wolf, uh, Calais Campbell, Matt Judon, um, you know, Patrick Queen and, and LJ Fort rushing the passer. So it, it's going to be very important for the, the, this line to know who they're supposed to block. Don't get beat by any stunts that they're going to be throwing your way. Um, and just, you know, I, I want them to play inspired. I want to see them play inspired football. Like, stop taking all this crap. And, and I want to see the defense get physical. I don't know if they're going to because they don't really have 
I mean, besides the front four and maybe Darius Slade, they don't really have physical players, it seems like, and maybe Ronnie McLeod. Um, that, that's what I want to see from, from the defense, physicality, getting to the football, and tackling. Um, they can do all that, but I, I think even though the Ravens haven't really played right like they did last year when they were 14-2 and two, and Lamar Jackson was the MVP of the league, I, 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 there's something missing with this Ravens offense, but I don't know if the Eagles are good enough to beat them. I'm going to take the Ravens 27-17, um, and then we will be talking about a hopeful win this week against the New York Giants uh, as we, we got to do double duty, uh, uh, quick, or, you know, a quick turnaround for us with the Thursday night game against the Giants at the link coming up. Absolutely. And I, I hope it is a I hope it is a victory green hour next Tuesday because it would definitely make the quick turnaround feel a whole lot better. It, def- <laughs> it definitely will. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Kelly Green Hour. Again, you can follow us on Twitter at Kelly Green Hour. Follow Connor on Twitter at Colin on Twitter at Connor 10. That's Connor T-E-N. And follow me on Twitter at LJ Harrell 54. Connor does a great job on game day, um, you know, given uh, the whether it's a, a drive-by-drive or quarter-by-quarter analysis uh, of the game. I mean, a big game because the Eagles, they're fortunate to be in the NFC East, let's be real. Any other time, they would not be able to drop the one and four, uh, one, four, and one, and, and still think they have a shot at the playoffs. But in this division mm-hmm. and with the injury to Dak Prescott, they definitely have a chance even with a loss, especially with three division games coming up afterwards uh, with a bye mixed in. Um, but this is the first of three home games for the Philadelphia Eagles, the Ravens, the Giants, the Cowboys. Go two and one, or if we want to include that, the Giants game after the bye. If you were three and one in that stretch, you put yourself in a good position to win the NFC East. For Connor, I'm LJ. Thank you for listening to the Kelly Green Hour. Fly, Eagles, fly. <laughs>